Good morning. Good morning. I don't think I realized how heavy that text would be. <laughs> but Jesus had a way with words to say things that sometimes were maybe heavy to hear, but also very necessary uh, to know and to be aware and to be watchful. Um, so I hope that you brought your Bibles today uh, or your digital Bibles on your phones, whatever it is. And I hope you're prepared to read scripture with me to this morning. Um, this is a very, very important chapter um, for all Christians. And especially as we begin to come into the season of uh, Christmas, in which, oh, sorry, <laughs> let me mask. Uh, especially as we come into the season of Christmas, also known as Advent, which I think uh, uh, we talked about a little bit during worship here. It's this expectation of Jesus' first arrival to earth. And we as Adventists, of course, expect Jesus to return. In fact, all of Christianity expects Jesus to return again. And so there's this mix of looking back at history and how God acted and became a human being and came to earth, but also looking forward to the future and this hope that we have that Jesus will return uh, once again. So I just want to get you started off there, and then uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray and we can get started. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for your continued guidance and presence with us. For the fact that you are a uh, humble and patient teacher, um, that you teach us the things we need to know, that you don't give up on us, that you train us, and you give us the strength to carry on uh, with whatever we may be challenged with this morning, whatever may be weighing us down this morning, Lord, um, you give us guidance on those things. So we just ask that you give us of your Holy Spirit this morning and be with us as always. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, so Luke chapter 21. Um, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is looking around. Everyone's looking around. Let's say they're at church, right? It's Sabbath. They're in a temple. And Jesus... In Luke 21, verse 1, he says, he looked up and he saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He saw rich people coming to the temple with their offerings, with their gifts, and they're putting it into, you know, this, this, this box where they collect all the, all the gifts. But he also sees a poor widow and she puts in only two, two small tiny copper coins. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed or given out of their abundance, out of having so much they're able to give. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. And I could focus on this part and, and preach an entire sermon on just that. But, but it, this sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. 
where people look at certain things and they value them and they and they and they give glory to them and they see them as important and 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 beautiful but Jesus sees beyond it he as the prophet has said God looks at the heart right he's looking past the outside shell or the outside facade of everything that we are and he looks straight at our hearts so it continues when then in verse 5 when some were speaking about the temple now right at first they were looking at at what people were giving but now they're looking at the temple itself the building how it was adorned and, and how beautiful it was the beautiful stones and the gifts that people were dedicating to god and then again jesus says something that Kind of, it's kind of off, off-putting to the people who are listening. He says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. So the disciples are obviously, Jesus, do you really have to be so, how do I say it? Such a Debbie Downer, I guess, you know? Like, why do you have to, like rain on our parade why is it that when we're like looking at these things and we're admiring it all of a sudden jesus is like nah, you know what like actually you know none of this is going to last in fact the days are coming when this whole thing is going to be thrown down so they asked him you know teacher uh first of all you know when when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place and here begins sort of a speech that Jesus begins to, to tell them or to, to preach to them. And it's, and it's something that, that it's, it's, it's so um, rooted in their present day. He's talking about the temple. He's talking about the disciples, what they're talking about, where they're at. But also, it's something that points to something that will happen in the future. Now, to them, both the temple destruction and whatever else Jesus is talking about, they're both in the future. But Jesus doesn't make it very clear. He begins talking about how the temple will one day be destroyed, but then he also inserts this idea of the end, of this day in which the Son of Man will return, which is where we get our scripture reading for today. And so I want you to pay close attention at what Jesus begins to tell them. He says, first of all, in verse 8, he says, Beware that you are not led astray, for many are going to come in my name and say that I am he. Many will come and say, I am, I am Jesus, or I am God. And then many will also say, the time is near. <laughs> it's, 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 good. it's about to happen. And Jesus says, don't, don't go after them. Now, that's interesting and weird and maybe a little off-putting for Adventists because a lot of our message is Jesus is coming soon. So what does Jesus mean here? It seems a little, seems a little weird, right? What's happening here? Just tuck that away in, in the back of your minds for a little bit. He says, don't go after these people that say, I am Jesus, that say, I am God, or that say, the time is at hand. It's about to happen. 
And then he, and then he goes on, he says, when, when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Now, remember, he, they started asking about when, when will the destruction of the temple happen? And Jesus is all of a sudden speaking of the end. And he says, it won't follow immediately. He, he says to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and plagues. Or should I say pandemics? And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. Seems as if Jesus is all of a sudden skipping hundreds, maybe thousands of years into the future as he's talking about these things. Like he's looking at what's going to happen way, way in the future. But in verse 12, he tells them, but before all this occurs, they will arrest you, they will persecute you, they will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify, so make up your minds not to prepare for your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls." Now, we know that a lot of the apostles and a lot of the early Christians experienced that very real, tangible persecution, this, this being brought before governors and, and, and as recorded in the book of Acts, you know, having these, these amazing moments of wisdom where they were able to testify to the good news of Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes even getting close to converting these governors and, and these judges, right? So is Jesus now talking about events that have happened in the past for us? Remember, he started talking about Jerusalem and the temple. He continues, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those inside the city must leave it, and those out in the country must not enter it. For these are the days of vengeance as a fulfillment of all that is written. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken away as captives among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now, Luke is writing this quite possibly just a few years before the temple is destroyed and all of this occurs. So to the first people to read Luke, this has probably not happened yet and it, and it, and it comes to fruition. It actually happens about five or ten years later. That's what scholars tell us. But then Jesus goes on to talk about future events, events that maybe pertain to you and me, right? He says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, 
confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And now when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is saying that a lot of very scary things are going to happen before we are able to see him return in the clouds with power and great and glory. This is the theme of the day of the Lord throughout the entire Bible. The day of the Lord is, is this day in which God in finally intervenes in what's happening in our world to make things right, to bring justice, to liberate, to free people of, of, of bondage. And I just want you to remember the very first, not the very first, but one of the main ideas in the Old Testament is the idea of God liberating people who live in slavery. In the land of Egypt, Israel is, they're all living in bondage. They're all slaves. They're all serving the Pharaoh. They are, they are building things for him. And God sees this oppression and he sees this injustice against his people. And he intervenes. And he brings justice. He he brings them out of this land of Egypt where they are struggling, where they are fighting to live each day, where, where they feel like God has maybe left them behind and no longer cares about what's happening to them. And we get the story of Moses, right? And, and he interacts and he meets God at this burning bush and God gives him a mission to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And, and, and Pharaoh doesn't let the people go immediately. It takes an act of God to get Pharaoh to finally say the words to Moses and Aaron, rise up and leave my people. This is a moment that is celebrated in, in, in history as Passover, which is, happens the night prior in which God told the people to sacrifice a lamb and to paint their doorposts with the blood of the lamb to mark them as God's people so that when that final judgment would come upon Egypt, they would be spared and liberated. And not only that, they were told to eat their Passover meal dressed and ready to go. Essentially, the idea is you, you, you eat the, the, the Passover meal with your shoes on and what we would call our, 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 uh, our street clothes on because at any moment, your redemption is going to happen. At any moment, you are going to be freed and you're going to leave this place. So don't fool around. Don't mess around. Be watchful. Be prepared. Be ready. And the instructions were, eat it with your sandals on, curt your loins, and be ready to go. Now, no one would do this 
without actually believing that they would be liberated or that they might be liberated that night. Now, the story goes that every single Hebrew was ready to go that night. They had seen the other judgments or the other, the other activity of God in the land, but it took a certain level of faith to follow those instructions because it makes no sense to be ready to go at midnight. And it is at midnight where the order came from Pharaoh to Moses and Aaron to rise up and leave. Now I'm just bringing that into light because Jesus, as he's talking about the end, he's talking about a final day of the Lord, a final liberation, a final freeing from the systems of oppression and corruption that we all live in. Every nation in history has attempted to do good, has attempted to free and liberate, but at the same time is, is affected by our own humanity that causes us to seek only our own benefit, that causes us to use other people to abuse things for our benefit. And it is this idea that begins the idea of nations and empires in history, starting from the very first large city built by Nimrod himself called Babel, which God, for the very beginning, decides, I'm going to interrupt this thing because it is not good. And instead, he chooses Abraham to build the kingdom that would follow in God's plan. So now, Jesus is saying, there's going to be a lot of things that happen. There's going to be a lot of signs. He's echoing the, the, the freedom from Egypt, right? He's echoing this, this idea that God is going to act in ways that are going to look weird in nature. There are going to be scary things that happen. And he's acknowledging that we are all human beings that are often really affected by things that look scary. And he says, do not be terrified. Right? And he tells us, do not be afraid, because this all must happen before the day in which you are all redeemed, and you must be ready to go. And now, in Adventism, we have always, we have always said, we must prepare ourselves for this day. We must be prepared for the second advent of Jesus, so that we are ready to go. And, and a lot of our evangelism, we will teach people, you know, the dates, the calculations, William Miller and all this stuff, how we got it wrong, right? But we must always recognize that Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows. So how do we prepare? And I'm going to take this from Jesus' words himself. From the scripture that was read in verse 34 of Luke chapter 21. He says, be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down. Now, I imagine in the first exodus, right? People are thinking, what am I going to take with me? What am I going to pack? What should we take? We need to pack light so we can leave here on foot at any moment. Take our entire families with us. 
right? Uh, I used to, well, it's been a while, but Entire Night, we, we would go backpacking every year, and, and the idea is pack light so you can walk and take everything you need with you and, 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 and basically just what you can carry. Jesus is here saying, don't be weighed down when the day comes. But what is it? He's not talking about material things here. He says, be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down. And what is it that weighs down our hearts? Right? Jesus is always pointing to the fact that everything that we do comes from the heart. That the problems that we have of sin are internal. They come from in here. He says, the words that we say, the actions that make us unclean, are not, it's not caused by things that we, that we eat or the things that we do, but it's actually caused by what, what, what causes our actions. The inward like impulse, that, that thing that causes you to speak, it's, it's in our hearts that causes us to, to act. And so if your heart is weighed down, you are not prepared and you're not ready to go. Right? What weighs us down? Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with, I think Pastor said, carousing. My translation says dissipation. This comes from like the, the Greek word that's related to kind of this, this giddy, kind of high feeling that you might get when you drink alcohol. Okay? In common speech, it's feeling buzzed. But it's also this idea of intemperance. This idea of self-indulgence, this idea of, of maybe like when you had Thanksgiving and that was an amazing pie and you want a second slice because yes. it feels good, yes. right? Because we had some amazing pie at Thanksgiving. Think about that. But now think about like this intolerant self-indulgence would be I sit down and I take and I eat the whole pie. <laughs> now, if I eat the whole pie, will I be ready to get up and go and run? Right? See, it's very easy for us as Adventists to say, oh, it's, it, don't worry about it because we don't even drink. We're, we're, you know, we're not getting higher. We, we're not getting buzzed, right? <laughs> but he's talking about a spiritual, a spiritual situation happening in each of our hearts. Right? This, this, this constant desire for distraction, this constant desire for amusement, the, the word itself doesn't mean that there's act, these things are actually harmful. It's, it's what we're doing with it. It's this intolerant, this, not intolerant, but uh, intemperate uh, activity. This, this, this thing where I just constantly need it with me. I constantly need to be checking Facebook. I constantly need to be reading the news. I constantly need to know what the president is doing. I, I need to know. I need to know. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a drug to us. And it keeps us kind of like on a, on, a, on a slight spiritual, mental, whatever you want to call it, cloudiness. Where we're, we're, we're reacting to everything. We're not thinking, which is what happens if you're intoxicated. Jesus says, do not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. And one of the biggest things that intoxicates our hearts is fear. Try to make a clear, rational decision when you're struck with fear. In fact, military members, 
military personnel are trained to, to be able to think clearly in, in, in moments where a normal person would be overcome by fear, wouldn't be able to make a right decision or choice. They are trained for this. Jesus is saying, do not be spiritually clouded. Do not be weighed down by these things that cause this intoxication of your heart. Fear, anger, desire for vengeance. Even the desire to be right sometimes is, is intoxicating. Right? The desire for more. The, the, this this, this out-of-control consumption of things. It makes you drunk. You can't think. You're going to be weighed down. And what's the last thing? The worries of this life. The cares and anxieties of this life. And now here is, you know, we each have cares and anxieties in our lives. We each have responsibilities. We might have families, friends, work, mortgages, bills to pay, whatever it is. Do not be weighed down by these things. There is a possibility to live from a mindset of just lacking things all the time. Which is why Jesus always says, do not be anxious, but pray about all things. Because I am with you. And we can either operate from a mindset of not having enough, or from a mindset of abundance that we are connected to God. But this Temptation to feel like there's never enough, like we always got to keep working more, like always worrying will also weigh us down. And our hearts will be distracted by trying to just simply succeed in this life. But Jesus says, that's not good. Don't be weighed down by distraction, do not be weighed down by strong emotions or fear or drunkenness or partying. Don't be weighed down by this stuff. There's something in your heart that is causing you to move towards these things and, and finding them to, to help you to self-medicate. But at the end of the day, there is a, a root problem in your heart and you need to allow God to work and begin the process of healing and transformation in those things, those areas of our lives which we so easily want to self-medicate with things that we can reach for before asking maybe God for help or turning to a fellow believer to, to be there with us, to, to help guide us, to, to be our support and encouragement. Jesus says, don't don't, don't be weighed down. You have too much in that backpack of yours. You're not going to make it up and be ready to go when it's time to go. Right? When the call comes, are you going to be ready to go? And it's not going to come down to whether or not you knew everything in Revelation and what it meant or that you can interpret the visions in Daniel to, to, to the dot. 
It's not going to come down to that. It's going to come down to whether or not your heart is weighed down. Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms. Will you be able to spiritually discern when the call comes? Which is why he continues, that day, don't let it catch you unexpectedly, like a trap. Because it's going to happen. It's going to, it's going to come upon us all, all who live on the face of the whole earth. He says, be alert, be watchful at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all of these things. The, the story of the exodus of Moses and, and Israel being brought out of the land of Egypt is, is a story of a great escape. And Jesus is here talking to them in, in, in something that they would absolutely understand. They would absolutely understand what it meant to be ready. In their own history, they knew that they had to be ready. They ate on the go. They had to eat it. They had to eat their own Passover meals quickly, ready to go. So now he's speaking in spiritual terms. Can you be ready? This is how. Do not allow your hearts to be weighed down. And he says that keep praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Passover is important because Passover happens in the very next chapter. Jesus himself sees himself as this Passover lamb where he himself becomes a sacrifice by which we are saved and by which death itself is nullified. Said It's lost all of its power. It is a moment of victory. While the disciples are freaking out because their teacher is hanging on a cross, what they don't realize is that is the moment of God's ultimate victory over sin and evil and oppression and death itself. That he has essentially just neutralized the power of death. Paul will later say, you know, Jesus has freed us from the fear of death itself. There's something that the opposer or the opponent or the accuser doesn't like. And that is when we celebrate God's victory over him. I, I know we know it. I know that God's already won, right? But there's something that happens internally uh, that sometimes doesn't allow us to really, really accept it, really believe it sometimes, that God has actually broken all the power of sin and death, that everything that we experience now as evil is simply a shadow, that it is simply... Uh, uh, an accuser, it's, it's simply an enemy that is just angered by the fact that he's, that he's lost. He's, he's just being a sore loser. And I don't normally share things like this, but preparing this sermon was kind of weird because I tend to be someone who is very skeptical of 
I don't know, spiritual world, I guess I can call it. I don't talk much about angels, and I won't talk much about demons. I talk about Jesus and the power of his words and the message and the good news of salvation and liberation. That's, yeah, but this other stuff is kind of hard for me to talk about because sometimes it's hard for me to believe it. But I kid you not, any time that this message of Jesus having won the battle comes up, it just seems like there's a pattern of something that wants to interrupt it. And this is why worship is so important. This is why worship is so powerful. This is why when we sing soon and very soon, and you feel it, this is why it's so powerful. Because it is in our hearts we are believing and acknowledging that Jesus has already won the battle. That there is rest, and that now all we got to do is be ready to go Amen. when the trumpet sounds. Amen. Right? Amen. But Jesus says, be ready. Not just be ready because it's cool, but where's your heart at? Is your heart weighed down? Can you take out some of the things that are weighing your back? That are, that, are, that are not going to allow you to get up and go. That's how we prepare for the return of Jesus. This is how we prepare for our final liberation from the things that oppress us. This is finally how Jesus saves us all. So be ready, be prepared, be preparing your hearts, be acknowledging and praying through these things that weigh you down. We each have them. But Jesus says, be watchful and pray, for he is faithful and he will save us. Amen. And I will leave that uh, with you tonight, today. Amen. <laughs> Sing our final hymn.